In the beginning, there was darkness. Then, there was Paul Brown. Paul Brown transformed the game. Hello, Paul Brown here. Welcome to the first ever International Browns Podcast. Good morning, Cleveland. We we tried to find Paul Brown, but probably out drinking somewhere. It is Paul Brown. Um, so you just stuck with us two again. It's it's myself and Ian, right, 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 to talk about the fat men in the middle. These are the defensive tackles. How are you doing, Sunshine? Testing one, two, three. Testing one, two, three. So for those that have listened to the last two shows, this is what happens when Paul gives me his mic versus I provide my own mic because as many of you have pointed out, I've sounded like I was in a railroad tunnel for a couple of times on the show. Not sure why Jack was doing the editing. Paul was the one sponsoring the microphone. So baked bean media, no longer sponsoring my microphone. I'm back to my original one. So, but it's good to be on the show. Uh, we're going to probably delve in today to one of the more talked about positions in the, uh, the Browns locker room in terms of free agency. Everybody has got their version of a solution that they're going to, present and their guy but i will say the defensive tackle room has led to more wars like we had the sashi wars then we had the hugh wars then we had kind of the stefanski wars and the depot wars now we've got the d tackle wars because every time a transaction happens in the nfl that involves anybody especially a defensive tackle brown's twitter goes nuts deron Payne likely to get the tag set off alarm bells. It was like they were, there was spaces and tweets and texts and it was nuts. It's craziness. Just thinking about now, DT is the only position where there isn't a legitimate starter on the roster. There really hasn't been a legitimate starter on the roster for a couple of years. No, no, but we look at every single room in this whole um, roster, whether you want to talk about wide receivers, running backs, quarterbacks, cornerbacks, edges there is at least one legitimate starter everywhere with the, the exception is dt's i can't We're gonna believe have jordan elliott tommy togi perion winfrey none of these guys are legitimate starters to you jack the funny thing with perion winfrey and i see lots of people doing browns mocks and we'll, we'll get more into how we generally do the show but i see so many mock drafts with two dt's and i sit there and i think mm, what are these people up to because either they want to start Perry on Winfrey or they want to cut Perry on Winfrey. Because Andrew Berry tends to keep four DTs. So if you draft two and Perry on Winfrey's on your roster, you have one DT in free agency. And it's that kind of game where it you've got to take the whole thing. How many does Andrew Berry keep? What are we going to do in free agency? What are we going to do in the draft? So many moving pieces. But um, be careful drafting too many players. Um, DT and H is a good uh, D-line class. Couldn't it technically mean that maybe Jordan Elliott's time was done? Maybe. Oh, that, that's done anyway, but there's four guys. No. If, not... you, if you've got two draft picks and Perry on Winfrey, then there's only one spot left, and that's yeah. not Jordan Elliott's. That, that is true. So, well, let's break down non-starters here on the Browns roster. We're going to talk about the big men in the middle, the interior defensive linemen. Well, Jack, we just talked about it. Who are the guys that are on this roster? And are any of them a lock? So Winfrey for me is a lock, provided he doesn't do anything stupid off field. Um, you, which... you, sure he's, you sure he's going to show up on time? Hey. Um, uh, Garrett will pick him up. He, he can make up some time on the uh, drive-in. At this point, he better be living with him, just not riding with him. You can live with him. Enough. That's two miles gear driving references in back-to-back shows. <laughs> um. So Winfrey for me is back. I think he's your DT3 next year. Um, so I don't think it's one where you need to go out and add three free agents. I think two's fine. Um, I, I feel good with him as your DT3 next year. Is that where you stand? I have trouble relying on him for anything. But 
if I'm going to put him somewhere, then yes, I would say, okay, he's a guy who could be in the rotation, but I would be very questionable if he's playing starter level snaps. Like I want him kind of that 30 to 40% snap rate. Yeah. I'm not expecting him to play loads of snaps, but it's kind of where he sits in a four man deep DT room. Um, especially if they go and draft someone. And then everyone after that, Jordan Elliott, there was a, you could make the case for Jordan Elliott as the DT3. Not that I enjoy that, but I could see it. The minute he's now making two and a half, seven, 2.7 million, that's no longer a role that you realistically want to pay that for DT3 when you've got a guy like Perry on Winfrey. So are you with me that Jordan Elliott, I expect him to be here for camp because it's injury, it's depth. Perry on Winfrey could go down. So you have Jordan Elliott there because it doesn't cost you anything. There's no guarantees there. Do you think it's unlikely he makes the final team? I think it is, barring a major step up in production, I think it is a a big hill for him to climb in terms of making the 53. And it's just because they've given him time to develop. He hasn't done it. So at this point, maybe he shows up and he's a wrecking ball because he was younger when we took him. So another year of age, maturity, and strength may have helped him. But at this point, it would shock me if 96 was on the roster next year for the for the final 53. Now, in saying that, if they strike out on free agents and they don't really find anybody in the draft that falls to them, could just be by default. Uh, next up, Tommy Togio. I, I expect to be cut uh, at the end of camp. Will he make the practice squad? Who knows? Uh, might go and sign somewhere else um, because another team might give him an opportunity. Um, but I do not see him making the 53 at all. Togi is an interesting one for me because he obviously in this, in the short system may be asked to play a little bit different of a role than he's used to. I mean, we've kind of used him in that traditional three tech role just outside of the, the guard. I'll be curious to see if that's where, because I mean, many people have put it out there. So if Schwartz runs on those wide nine, he doesn't run it on every snap. But is there a role along that line that may better suit Togiai for being a little bit more of a point of attack strength guy? It'll be curious to see. Elliot, I don't see much faith in. Togiai is a guy that at least I'd want to see what role they have for him. Uh, so I'll, res- I'll reserve my judgment on him until I see him line up at OTAs in that spot and figure out what he's actually going to do. Like, could they maybe run him as a two-eye? We'll see. So next up, the last name that he's not under contract at the minute, but Ben still, um, he's an exclusive rights free agent. So if they tender him, which I expect they'll do, it's at the minimum, no guarantees, and he either has a choice to come back or retire. So it's not one where he can opt out. Um, I expect him to be back from camp. I think his shot is making the practice squad. Um, but who knows? Um, there was a little flash in Miami he was better than most of the Browns DTs um, and it is going to be an interesting one to look at of does he kick on because he's still young um, and Schwartz is going to judge everyone fairly they've got as much control over still as they do Winfrey so I don't expect him to beat Winfrey out but there's no reason why he couldn't continue to develop well, and, and that's what we're talking about. When we talk about any of these guys, we're talking about developing. We're talking about getting a pipeline of guys that can come in here. So all of a sudden, the Tommy Togiai goes from, you know, a fourth round pick or a fifth round pick, whatever it was, day three, to starter snaps in year three, right? Having a system where these guys move up from 20% to 40% to 60%, you know, slowly increasing their snap load. It seems like the guys we have here, the more we see them, the more or less we want to see them, you know, and that's that's kind of the irony there. So if still comes in and, you know, can actually show us something that we haven't seen, or we're not getting out of the guys we have now, who knows? He could be looking at more snaps than he's probably expected. Yeah. And then last up, he's a, well, I'm not, there's somebody else there. Some, uh, about Perry. Roderick Perry. I don't know if he'll even make the practice squad, but that's what he's battling for. Um, Remember, he came up towards the end of the season and then did bugger all, and that was the end of that. Yeah, so he'll be back for camp, but he, he's not doing anything. Um, Taven Bryant, he's a free agent now. Um, they signed him for a one-year, four million deal last year. I expect if they want to bring him back, it's going to be less, probably around three million this year. Um, it's one that I am more than happy with him as your second defensive tackle. Um, 
am I banging the table like I did last year going, hey, sign this guy, it makes a lot of sense. No, but if we sign him, I'm happy. I, I, I think he is perfectly competent to be a, I'm chasing the sort of 18th to 24th sort of best DT room. And I think he can certainly fit that bill as the second DT. Yeah, I think new defensive coordinator, new scheme, right? So we're talking again about different guys in different roles. So the one thing they learned about Taven was this is a gap penetrating guy that got upfield too quick sometimes. And I think a lot of times it was teams were letting him come upfield because then they could just shove him out of the way and run in right behind him, ultimately because of the linebackers. But that's for another show. So the question then becomes is like we it made sense last year for what the Browns were doing. We had already seen a couple of seasons of woods. So we kind of knew what they were looking for out of these positions with Schwartz. If they want the big stout meat eater kind of guys in the middle, then Brian's not coming back because that's not what he is. He's not a guy you're going to flex to the outside, right? I know he's super athletic, but if it's a different scheme that they're running, then Brian will be gone. It's, it, it's, it's, not that we don't like the guy or can't find a role for him. It's just if Schwartz is going to run what I kind of think he does, he doesn't really fit the bill of what this team is going to be looking for in their defensive tackles. Yeah, um, certainly one. that The Schwartz dynamic is going to be interesting um, because hey, it was just sort of get after the quarterback. Nothing quite flashy with Woods, but that, that was the goal. It was pass rush, pass rush, pass rush, solve mm-hmm. the run. Yeah, and, and I expect it to be that still. And, and, you know, you could see a guy, you know, I, I know Browns fans sometimes have visions of having their own Aaron Donald, right? And the best we have is Sheldon Richardson. I mean, that's the really the only guy that the Browns have gone out and signed that was a former first round pick, defensive tackle. I think two years with the Browns and his first year, he was solid. I think he was a top 32 or so starting D tackle. And then I think in the second year, he fell back to the pack, was kind of Tologe towards your bottom tier of starters, but that's what, what 12, 13, $14 million a year was getting you. We couldn't even get, you know, top 20 play out of a D tackle that we were spending that much money on. So you have to be real careful with how you spend money and finding the roles that fit the guy's specific strength. You know, I think one of the things we saw that when they were starting to go away from Sheldon towards that 2021 season was the role that they had envisioned for him had passed him. So when you look at these free agents and you look at these guys, you know, do I think that a Duran Payne would be a good fit in Stevens? Absolutely. Problem is, A, he's not going to hit the market, and B, he's 20 plus million dollars. So you have two very giant red X's striking against you in terms of who we're going to want to have contribute on this line. So let's jump over to free agency. We'll go through the big five first. Um, I don't consider any of these realistic, um, but I'll speak to him and by all means, Add if you want, you don't need to. Javon Hargraves is looking at 18.3 million a year. I don't think at that price it works, especially when you've got Miles Garrett. And we won't touch on it with every single player, but the effective thing is if you're going to spend all your budget on Miles Garrett and one DT, you, you're going to have realistic conversations where we're talking about Jordan Elliott being um, the, the other DT next to him or Taven Bryant. And then you've suddenly got Chase Winovich and Alex Wright at edge. And that that's the kind of thing to remember of going, we've done this. We blew all our budget on Miles Garrett and Clowney. What happened? We didn't get the results we wanted. I also think with Hargrave, and this isn't a knock against him. This is a guy that started his career at the Steelers. I believe it was a third round pick. Comes over to the Eagles. He took a precipitous jump in production on Philly's line. Now, I'm not saying that he's not a good player, but that that was a jump above his career averages, right? So was this a product of being on a line that's six deep? You know, how much we talk about a lot with New England and cornerbacks, how much of Javon Hargrave's production this past year, was he a top 10 or top 12, top 15 defensive lineman in the league was because he was on that line. You know, he's rotating then at the end of the season with Sue and Joseph and Barnett, you know, and all these guys. I mean, I, you know, obviously Philly played a handful of guys. So how much of that is because of that? That's why when I, I think of a 30-year-old D tackle, I'm not going to spend $20 million on Javon Hargrave because ultimately I've only seen it once 
So next name up is Jerome Payne, who's expected to be franchise tagged. Um, I believe ninety nine point nine percent was the uh, the odds they gave him, right? And yeah, this, and, the, and that the, makes sense, Jack. I mean, that makes total sense. The only real route to him hitting the market would be if they went and got Derek Carr and suddenly going, yeah, we can't really pay that. Um, that is the only route, and I don't think he's going to end up there. Yeah, I I, I would be hard pressed to see Carr in Washington. Next up, we've got Draymond Jones, who's projected by PFF at fourteen point five million a year. I still think that's too expensive. It does free up a little bit, so it's not quite in the category of suddenly your Jerome Payne's and your um, Hargraves. You've got an extra five million a year, so it's one way you can suddenly go, "Hey, we're going to start Demarcus Walker and Taven Bryant rather than Jordan Elliott and um, Winovich or Wright." So. There's a little bit more money. I still think it's just a bit too expensive. Yeah, listen, I, I'm a big Draymond Jones fan, Ohio State. I liked him coming out in the draft. The, you know, obviously friend of the show, Ben Al- Albright's been all over kind of the Broncos news. Recently hired defensive coordinator Vance Joseph, former head coach of the Broncos, which is a little odd, but still. I mean, almost like, you know, the Browns bringing back Mike Pettin to be the defensive coordinator. But I digress. Um the question is what they do with them. You know, is it going to be one of those things where a franchise tag is a little bit out of the question? We're talking 20 plus million dollars. But then the other issue is, are they going to use the transition tag? Let him go to the market? Because right now the talk is that Draymond Jones is looking for upwards of over $15 million a year, which instantly makes him way too rich for my blood. Is he a good defensive tackle? Yes. If you're talking 10, 12 million, I may be able to have a conversation. 15 plus million, I think you're talking about a whole different ball game. And for the people out there that are like, well, well, what's that difference? Where do you see what, you know, two, $3 million at the bottom of this list can get us to we're talking about. If we're going to spend 10 million, Jack always does this. Well, do you want Draymond Jones or do you want this guy and this guy? You know, cause now I, I fill two holes. So again, 10, 12. Okay. 15 plus I'm out. So I'm going to save the one out the top five that I don't think is going to happen, but I can understand Next, we're going to throw out uh, Zach Allen, who's projected at $12.5 million a year, which is a name lots of people like the look of, and then suddenly they saw the price and they were, uh, let's say, quickly out. Well, here's the problem is, is sometimes people got confused. Am I looking at Zach Allen or was I looking at J.J. Watt, right? This was a guy that kind of hid in his shadows and said, okay, I'm going to go out and now try to make my cut. I like the high energy. I do. I I think Zach Allen's a fun player. I really do. But he's more of a three, four kind of guy to me. I mean, just looking here in Arizona this past year, he was lined up outside uh, 111 times. So one sixth of the time he was outside 287 times he was over the tackle. So in essence, in like a big, big five technique, you know, you could talk maybe that four eye position, um, 210 times in the B gap and 31 times in the A gap. So they did move him up and down the line, which could make him attractive. Oh, I'd feel a lot better with this if the number was under 10 million. And the other thing you've got to remember is that, and as well with Jerome Payne, you are paying for a breakout year. Yep. And that is usually like the worst thing you can ever do in free agency. If you're paying for a breakout year of a guy who's a rotational guy and you're paying him two and a half million, they are ideal for gambling on. If you're paying for a breakout year of a guy going, well, he needs to continue that breakout every single year to be value, you are going to end up disappointed and cutting that guy within two years of the first out you get. It's yep. just not worth it in nearly every scenario. Yeah. I like the player. I do. I think the versatility is nice. I just, again, this is a guy who was a kind of bottom half of the league defensive lineman for a majority of his career. All of a sudden this year, Arizona kind of gets irrelevant. He gets a few more snaps. Um, You know, in his first two years, he didn't play that much. He played the most snaps in 2021, but in terms of sack production numbers, this was kind of the year where he had double his sacks. He had six sacks coming into this year, had six just this past year. So again, I like the player. I just, I don't like that price at all. So next up, we get to the last of the big five. And that is Dalvin Tomlinson, who PFF is predicting as 11.75 million a year. Um, something interesting here happened. So 
players have void years in their contracts, which allow teams to spread the um, salary cap over many years. And once it reaches a certain date, they're voided and they're, they're free agents. He's actually come to an agreement to push his date back into free, uh, the start of free agency, which just gives the team a longer chance to agree a deal. And there's no reason you would do that other than you feel like it's close between both sides agreeing to come to terms on something long-term. So I think it's very, very likely um, he will be staying there, or at least it's just moving that void year so he can do a day of speaking to teams and if no one matches the deal, sign here. Um, and that that could be the the agreement they've come to of going, hey, we're going to put 12.5 million on the table. This is the terms. You can then move that there. And that deal will stay on the table up until your contract voids. Because if it voids, all of that dead money drops onto next year. By doing a deal, that allows them to leave that dead money spread out. But would I want to spend 12 million on a DT? No. But if I'm going to spend big money, he's the first one where I go, I get it. Is that because of the consistency? Yeah. If, if you look at sort of the grading and how DTs have produced it, it's jumping all over the place. Even like a Hargrave, we look at the last three years, this year he was 11th DT for PFF, 32nd the year before, 74th the year before that. We've more or less got the reverse with Jerome Payne. Um, we've got Dalvin Tomlinson, who is 14th this year, 16th the year before, 25th the year before that. So very, very impressive. Draymond Jones is downward trajectory Zach Allen is a poor poor and then good last year he's the only one way I can realistically go and say hey he's solid he knows what he does doesn't quite get the pressure rate that I want outside of last year um that's that's, that's not his role though his job yeah. is he sits next to Daniel Hunter and eats him up for those math nerds out there so a lot of times with PFF especially when you're talking about players sometimes you look at like the standard deviation of their averages right so if you look at Tomlinson from his rookie year, which is when he graded out his highest in obviously the, the smallest number of snaps that he's played, every single year his score has been within seven points. His low being 74.9 in 2021, his high being 81 in 2017. But just in the last four years, 77, 74.9, 75.1, and 78.2. So it's consistently giving you this level of play, obviously Stefanski would know him from his times in Minnesota. So there would be a connection of knowing what kind of player he is. But yeah, you're talking about a guy who you should know exactly what you're getting and what this guy does well, because that's what Minnesota has been having him do for the past six seasons. No, no I think he's, you're right, um, Jack. he's only done two years there. He was uh, Giants. Oh, Giants. Before. I'm sorry. Yes, Giants before. So, um, but yeah, it's one that he, he, I get it. When people are telling me I want to go out and sign to Ron Payne, I'm like, nah. Whereas if you say, hey, I want Tomlinson, I'm willing to take some money out. Because if you're realistically saying, what, say he's 12 million, well, suddenly we can still spend three, four million at the second DT. We can spend five million at edge and you, you can make it work. You probably don't have an edge three, but if you're sacrificing edge three to pay for DT one, I get what you're doing. You're going, hey, let's go top heavy four and then we don't care about the rotation behind it but at least we've got four good guys whereas it's generally been two or three the last few years the the question i have with tomlinson i wonder is do you think it's because they know the money's close like if you're sitting there and he's like well i'm looking for this and they're like well we're, we're actually pretty close on that so now if it's about the nuances of the contract and figuring that out that's why they would do something like all right we're going to give this extra week and you know, obviously, if he comes in and wants 18 and Minnesota's only willing to give him 10, they're like, listen, dude, we're not going to bridge this gap. But my only theory would be is they're probably very close on a number. And that's why they're like, just in case, let's push this out, get this thing locked up. Yeah, no, I think that makes a lot, a lot of sense. All right. Well, now it's time to get into the guys that we can actually talk about, right? Now we're talking about the opportunity cost players. Now we're talking about the this guy plus this guy, as opposed to one of the guys we just talked about. You know, whether it's 12 million for Tomlinson, 18 million for Draymond Jones, whatever it is, right? None of us know. So, like, I'm not out there pounding the table and like, I know Draymond Jones is going to get 18 million dollars. I don't know that. I'm just telling you what I heard on KOA radio. Shout out to you, Ben Albright. That's what I'm telling you. They had guys on, this is what they were talking about. 
So if Draymond Jones signs for 15.5, keep your pitchforks at home. I'm not his agent. I'm just telling you what the people are saying. I'm reading the tea leaves, as the boys say. So next up, we're going to jump into names. Um, I'll, I'll throw out the first one. And this is sort of as high as I'm willing to go. Um, Larry Ogunjobi, you go and sign for uh, the <laughs> Ravens and complete your uh, tour of the division. Um, I'll be gutted if he doesn't. This is a guy on a down year. So that is risky. He's just turned 30. And that is David Onyemata from the Saints. Yeah, the fighting Canadian. Looking at seven and a half million a year. So you, you're going to guarantee both years of the deal, basically. But if we look back to 2020, he was rated seventh best DT out of 124. 2021, he was rated seventh best DT. And then it dropped last year, 52nd. What dropped? It, it was basically the run aspect of his game dropped. It wasn't so much the pass that was the issue. It was the run. That that's kind of where it's like, well, I'm willing to take the risk of like he should bounce back. Um, whereas if it was the run drop, it was if it was the pass rush dropping. That's where I'm like, yeah, I'm probably out. I'm willing to take the splash on him and go. This could be the piece where I go. That's DT one lock that in. Yeah, well, one of the other reasons is is people started running a hell of a lot more on the Saints last year because the Saints were a bad football team. You know, it's one of those things that correlates when you have a good offense. And the Saints have had a pretty good defense the last couple of years. And you're right. Uh, 2020, you know, he had a good year lining up there next to Cam Jordan and all the guys in New Orleans. The only thing with Anyamata I have is he's at that age now when I don't expect production to go up. So at seven and a half million, it may sound like a deal, but if all of a sudden his progression starts going back down where we kind of think it goes when you're on the northern side of 30, I don't love this one. I understand his value, 6'4", 300 pounds, former fourth round pick from the Saints. I'll just be curious. I mean, he got he got dinged for PEDs last year. I don't know. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I think I'm out on this one. So next up, we'll just literally run down PFF sports. Sheldon mm. Rankins is mm. a name that I like. Am I overwhelmed at six million a year and going, hey, I really want this guy in? No, but I'm also, I legitimately see him, hey, ring, ring the bell, former first round pick. Mm-hmm. Um, Andrew Berry obviously has his eyes on him. Um, I, I'd be happy with it. Yeah, this is a guy that was with Anyamata down there in New Orleans uh, a couple of years ago and then signed what was it a two-year deal with the Jets yeah. or one year? Yeah. So Rankins was a guy that the Browns even talked about back in the 2016 draft because he was kind of right in that that middle that middle tier of guys. I like Sheldon Rankins. I think he could serve a role. If you look, he's kind of not he had like First couple of years, things were getting better. Then he kind of hit a wall and has not been great. I know his first year with the Jets did not go great at all. If you remember right, Jets table, Jets Nation was very uh, bleeding of the green with him. So the question is, do they think that now as he's approaching 30, he still has another year, two years left in the tank? A little bit bigger guy, 6'2", 305 pounds. Not your speed kind of guy, not your super athlete kind of guy, just a guy that's going to be able to get in there and mix it up. I would almost like him a little better if maybe he thinks he's worth that six to eight million multi year deal. And then he's like, you know what? I need to find a team where I can be DT1 and get me my 60% of my snaps. And he looks and says, hey, Browns, I'll sign a one year deal for five million, right? If you can get kind of that short post initial wave of free agency, because if all of a sudden, People are looking at the free agent market going, all right, I've got these big guys at the top. And then there's these overpriced mid-tier guys. It may benefit the Browns to hold off and wait for the dust to settle on the big names, the first day guys. You may be able to scoop up a Sheldon Rankins for say 5 million on a one-year deal just so he can come in because Cleveland's attractive in the sense of A, you're playing next to Miles Garrett, so they're not going to stuff the interior. And B, you're talking about a game, a team where you're likely going to be DT1 at worst, DT2. Yeah, the one thing I would keep in mind, and this could just be a part of being on the Jets, if you look all the way sort of through his second to fifth year with New Orleans, 
it was a pretty consistent 10% pressure rate where he was constantly getting to the quarterback. That then drops. Um, 2021 was bad. And even last year, it was 25 pressures over 300 pass rush snaps. That's the kind of thing where I look to that 10% and go, hey, if, if I'm willing to commit some money, I want to get my 10%. Um, so that's kind of the one thing in my head where I go, will it happen? Because even like a um, Onyemata is still cracking the 10% number um, each year, which, hey, if we go back to 2021, absolutely smashed the 10% number. Um, that that's my concern there. Yeah, no, it, it's a concern. If it's seven and a half million, Jack, I just think I'm out. And if he wants a multi-year deal, no. One year, prove it deal. Come on in. I got snaps and I got, you know, I got some guys you can line up on this line with that I'm going to try to bring in. And listen, if he comes in and plays this thing well, and I like it, then you know what? Next year, we can talk about maybe a, a little bit bigger of a contract for him going in. He's still going to hit free agency market before 30. Come in one year, show what you can do. Let's see. But now we're starting to get into the crop of the guys that I'm a lot more interested in. So we've got my last guy who I could see as a DT1. Um, and then I'll let you pass over before we get into the DT2 this guys. Is probably the guy that's at the top of my list. Is it a Mr. Matt Ionitis? It is. We talked about him last year. I still love me some Ionitis. This is the Temple Owl. He's the big boy. Fifth round pick back in 2016, 63305. He lines up next to the other guy, loving Carolina, Derek Brown. How do you criticize me? I said, make the call. We'll see. Still out there. Never know. Greg Newsom. Uh, but yeah, no, Ionitis is, if I'm going after a guy who you're right, I think this is the last tier of say that legitimate expectations at a DT one. This is the guy I would call. I just like the way he plays. He's not Aaron Donald. He's not one of these guys. It's going to be a top 10 guy. I get it but he's just a mixer. He wants to get in there. He wants to just mix it up. He wants to get physical at the point of attack. He can penetrate. He can shed blockers. He can eat up blockers, all the above. I just like the way he plays the game. Yeah, and just to sort of point out how insane Aaron Donald is, we go back to 2020, and this is 105 pressures on 606 snaps. And 2021, it was 109 pressures on 816 snaps. So when you're talking about this dude is doing one in six um, and he's in a class of his own, effectively. Um, I don't think there's many guys um, that would get there. Um, it, if you look to the Chiefs, maybe, but he plays a bit of edge as well, um, Chris Jones. So edge does get more pressure, just naturally. If we look at Matt Ioannidis, consistently all the way down bar his rookie season where he played 103 snaps he has delivered 10 percent every, every year and so he is that sort of perfect number of he gives me my minimum i need of pass rush yeah he could be a little bit better on the run but he's not bad at the run this isn't like we've seen in the past where it's you give up the run to get the pass rush this is a average run a, I would say above average, great pass rushing numbers. So that, if you're asking me what's the combination I'm looking for, it's not horrendous run and a and great pass rush. It's great pass rush and just average run. Because if he had both, we're suddenly talking about 12 and a half million a year player. And that's the, that's the saving that you're getting by giving up and just saying average runs fine. Six and a half million a year, for me, it, it would be an ideal signing. The other thing about his run defense is that's not what he was asked to do as well, though. So you think about Washington and Carolina, you know, the, he had a slew of guys around him that commanded double teams. You're talking about Jonathan Allen. You're talking about Montez Sweat. You know, you're talking about Washington put some serious dough on their defensive line. And this was a guy that just continually got pass rush up the middle. A lot of times on one on ones. And I get that. But until we see what Jim Schwartz is really going to because Again, I get it. We can all watch film of Jim Schwartz in Tennessee and in Philly and just coming at people with these waves of guys. We don't have that. So Jim Schwartz did not sit there in his interview for defensive coordinator and say, look what I could do with a bunch of players we don't have. He said, these are the guys I have. These are the guys I want. This is what I'm going to run. So at the end of the day, Ionitis is just a guy who, or Ionitis, whatever you want to say it, He's just a guy that's going to get in there and do his job. Do I think 
he's going to be a 10 sack guy. No, but if I can get four to five sacks from an interior uh, defensive lineman, just the route I'm willing to go. And I'm willing to pay the 6 million to get it. No, no, I think it doesn't damage and knock on impact the rest of what you do. And that that's really important that you oh. haven't gone so far out with one guy that suddenly it's like, well, Schwartz wants four guys that can get to the quarterback. And that's really important. Lots of people look to the star power of what Schwartz's lines might have had. He also needs a minimum four guys. So if you tell him, hey, you're going to have two guys, he's going to say, no, that doesn't work for me. Um, so he needs four guys that can do the job. And I think Ioannidis does that. Is there any of the other names? I'll just throw some out before we go to anyone else. Um, you've got like Sean Robinson. You've got Puna Ford. Um, I'm sure there's some more. Is there any of those you want to touch on? Yeah. So for me, I'm trying to figure out the numbers on some of these because the other guy I do like is I do like Puna Ford, um, the guy from Seattle. This is a guy who is just, first of all, what an absolute great name. And if you cannot come up with a better name for your a guy on the line named Puna, I don't know what to tell you. But he's not your big, tall, 6'5", six, 6'4", six, type of guy, which is the other guy I'm going to talk about, Ashawn Robinson. This is a guy that's a little short. I think he's about six foot three ten. Um, played out of Texas, I believe. He was a guy from Texas. He's just a physical body, low to the ground, weight in the middle. So all of a sudden, if I partner him with, say, a guy like Ioannidis, right, these are the two guys that I don't, I don't mind mixing it up. Because Ford and him have complementary skill sets, in my opinion. I can shade Ioannidis a little bit outside to that three heavy or three T, four T, whatever you want to call it. And then I can take Puna Ford, move him into a two I, one, maybe have him and Togi I battle that out. But I just like the fact that he's more of kind of your run guy. He can generate some pass rush, but that's not his primary focus. He's a little bit of what I would call that meat eater in the middle. So Seahawks defense has been pretty awful for most of the time. He's one of the few guys that you'll hear his name pop up here and there. You know, I'm not saying that he's had any crazy record plays, but you know, at the end of the day, this is a guy with 10 sacks over a five-year career. Not too bad. So Puna Ford is a guy I would look at. And to be fair, Ashawn Robinson's another guy I would look at. And that's just because he is one mean son of a bitch. And I think if there's one thing the Browns defense needs is it's a mean son of a bitch right in the middle. This is a guy, 6'4", 330, you know, obviously the Alabama guy, former second round pick. He's just a mauler in the middle. He was that in Detroit. He had one, I believe, breakout season kind of in Detroit where he just seemed like he was around the quarterback every day and every time you turned on that, that film. Um, but now he's gone out to L.A. He's played next to Aaron Donald for a little bit. This is a guy, especially if that contract, Jack, is correct, where I can get this guy for in that $2.5 million range. I would be shocked, but he is a guy that I would mix up. Between the three of these guys, Robinson, Puna, and Ioannidis, you give me two out of those three, I'll be a happy man. Yeah, no, and PFF's predicting Puna Ford at $6.25 million a year, and Sean Robinson drops to two and a half. Probably part of the reason for that is health. If we look back, hey, 2020, it was 147 snaps. 2021, he got up where you want him, 628. And then 2022, it dropped to 360. So I think if you bring in Sean Robinson, he's part of a three. Um, I don't think you can rely on him to be your two and go, hey, Winfrey's the three, because you've got to be prepared for injury and stuff to go wrong. Could they do that? Yeah. They could certainly do that and... Maybe they go less in the draft and hey, they, they could go into next year and Winfrey's the four. Um, people will be upset they don't draft someone, but suddenly if you've got a loaded room, do people care as much? No, they don't. So th there's a balancing game to be had. Um, but I would say part of me goes, well, take the pump with A. Sean Robinson because even if he's your three and who knows if it goes wrong with injury, you can roll with it and you can um, still have a good rotation. I think the issue for me is bringing in Puna Ford. Um, I, you're not going to get that pressure at number. And hey, great in the run, doesn't quite do it for me in the pass rush. Um, I think you're better going for someone else. And hey, I, I, I'm going to throw that name out next. I'm going to say Jaron Reed. Um, I Jer think Jaron Reed. The only Jaron thing Reed. I would say about Ford, does Ford give you the ability to get pass rush from your linebackers, right? If I have a guy like JOK, 
and I'm shadowing him behind Puna and Puna is able to wash maybe an, in, maybe a right guard and a center down. And now all of a sudden I get a free shot with a safety with, you know, a linebacker or somebody like that. It could be that you look at it and say, Ford gives me the element to increase the pass rush ability of this other guy, you know, cause we know Schwartz likes to bring the heat and it doesn't always come from those four. So all of a sudden, maybe I drop somebody else out. Ford takes my wash inside. I got Garrett taking the other one there. Now I loop maybe JOK on a stunt, a twist. Maybe I just shoot him up a gap. It could be one of those ones where they look at it and say, I'm willing to give this guy $5 million because I know it's going to elevate the guys behind him. And I, oh, no, I no. cut that before we moved on to the next guy because I wanted to get that one in there. That little meaty, that little meatball in the middle. And it's you're, you're effectively asking Puna Ford, you take two guys and then whether that's Miles Garrett next to him one-on-one or you have to bring the tight end in for Miles Garrett, well, suddenly that's their line of six versus our line of four. Mm-hmm. You, you rely on coverage to hopefully do its job there. But that's, that's I guess, the, the argument for bringing in a Puna Ford. It's if they need to keep their tight end in. And if you're playing someone like a Chiefs, well, what are they going to do? They're not going to leave Travis Kelsey in there just to deal with Miles Garrett. They're going to have to bring someone else in and it's another attacking weapon. Mm-hmm. out of the uh the way so i i do get yeah, the only get that run stuff up. yeah the only thing i'd want to know is and i haven't broken up down his tape enough is in terms of running a two gap versus a single gap scheme on that line if the browns are going to be seeing a lot of that outside zone i'd want to make sure that ford could two gap as opposed to just playing a single gap if he can't two gap all that well then he's probably not going to end up here i think the browns are going to want their d tackles to be a little bit more two gap where last year they were single gap yep so if you jump over to Jerome Reed, former second round pick um, out of Alabama, Alabama um, went to the Seahawks for five years and then it's done one year in KC and one year in Green Bay. Um, he's just turned 30, um, middle of December. Um, you're not going to see amazing PFF grades. To be honest, it's, it's just like, it looks like bang average. But what you do get is good pressure numbers. He had 33 pressures last year on 395 pass rushing snaps and pressure numbers have been pretty solid um, year to year. So that's kind of why I look at him and go, hey, if you bring this guy in, he gives you two pressures a game and just average pass, um, average run defense. I'm fine with that. He He's your, it's this versus Taven Bryan. And I'd say there's similarities. I would say you just get a little bit extra pass rush with Edron Reed. He's slightly older. But that for me, it's that group of guys where you're looking at and going, hey, four million a year, three to four, what can I get? Now, did we put Ashawn Robinson and Jerron Reed back to back on this podcast because we knew they played next to each other at Alabama and they were taking oh. three, they were taking three picks apart. That was a big story during that draft. You remember, right? Uh, Robinson and Reed lined up next to each other for that Alabama D line. And then I think one went. 46, 49, 45, 48, somewhere there. But yeah, it was kind of funny. And then the irony is, is Robinson's 27 and Reed's 30, which is another little odd thing there. But yeah, listen, I mean, he's a good player. He's probably in line for that DTT3 spot. You know, he was nice in a, a limited role with Green Bay. That was kind of just his, he, he he didn't stick around in Kansas City. He was there for one year. Another guy from the Seahawks line that's just, Always seems like it's, you know, patching a hole here and there ever since that Legion of Boone defense. But yeah, I'm not going to go bang the drum for Jerron Reed, but you know, he's a fine, he's fine. It really comes down to the number. What's his projected? What are they projecting him to get? So this is on me to project. I'm just looking at what he got last year and uh, playing it forward. I'm saying three and a half mil um, for one year Mm -hmm. is perfectly reasonable. For that, for that type of ticket, if they want to bring him in, maybe with a, you know, a decent amount of guarantees just to give him some rotational snaps, he's one of those guys. At least you know you're going to get solid performance. You're probably not getting anything great. Yeah, he's rated 63rd out of 141 DTs. And if if you were going to go cheap at the position and sign two cheaper guys, a Jerome Reed and a um, Taven Bryant, it's a realistic pairing. Looking at what the Browns have done at DT in the past. Is that saying that's what they'll do with Schwartz and what will happen this offseason? No, but that's kind of their blueprint, if you put it that way, um, for what is in their ballpark. Yep. I've got some other names, but I don't know if you've got some bigger names before I get into my little names. 
I've got I don't big names. Uh, we'll throw a couple of the big names out there. We'll see what people think. Uh, so Ogan Joby, you were a a no on, right? He needs to sign for the Ravens. Yeah. What about Morgan Fox? He's another name that's out there that's on the PFF board. So I liked Morgan Fox when I thought I could get him as a cheeky three. Um, and then I saw the projections and I'm uh, not so much now. Gotcha. Um, is there a certain guy from the Lions that's a Cleveland native? Is he in your next bucket? I know that our uh, our boy Jackson's talked about him a little bit. He's an edge for me and I, he's going to get paid and uh, it won't be the case. We're talking about John Kaminsky? You think he's an edge? He plays more as an edge than the DT. He's a, he's a hybrid. Okay. So you we didn't really talk about him, but uh, you're going to bring Andrew Billings back? So and, uh, This is a really interesting one. <laughs> Andrew Billings played really well this year. And Browns fans get angry and blame Andrew Perry for this. Um, and I, I don't think that's realistic. So they signed him before the COVID rules and everything came out. He then decided to take the year off, which... To be fair, uh, some of the sizes these D tackles play at, there's more health implications. Um, and that was why several of them went, no, nah, I'm, I'm, I'm set up for the year. And the way it worked is he was guaranteed his money then the following year. And so what happened is he didn't look after himself in that season and didn't come back fit and the way you'd want him to be. And so it wasn't just when he left the Browns and it wasn't a technique thing. He just sucked for the 2021 season he's gone somewhere else this year in vegas and he's played really really well so i think that's the player they thought they were getting and it hasn't worked out and it's one way if he played that well two years ago we probably have a completely different view of and andrew berry and defensive tackles i don't doubt it uh another bigger name that is going to become a free agent i don't mind the guy i'm curious what's your take on dean lowry packers let me coming off i believe he was on six six plus million this year so my caption a lack of pressure outside his 2021 season is why i wouldn't consider chasing lowry um i've got an estimate of five million because he's coming off a 20 million over three contract, if you could get him for three and a half are you interested let me just pull up his actual numbers um if you want to talk a little bit about him I'm just p- pulling names that people have heard about. I've got two guys so, in, in my smaller, so to say, bucket that I want to talk about. If I look at Lowry, go over the last four years, 19, 21 pressures, 20, 21 pressures, 2021, 42 pressures. And then last year, 17 pressures. I'm just, I can't commit that money to that i'm afraid um it's it, even at three fair, even at three and a half million not a yes yeah, i think five three and a half i'd say three and a half i could i could put him in that tape and brian um reed bucket he to me is a little bit bigger more powerful version than Taven bryant uh he is the northwestern wildcats one of the reasons i'm at least pseudo familiar with him uh obviously being up in green bay um he's a name that's on my list of somebody that i'm just going to take a peek at the other name that I know people have heard about, Mohurst. Yeah, I'd love to have Mohurst, but I doubt the medical would change. Um, he he is on my that rotational sort of tier two, sort of almost tier three list. We've had the tier one, the Only Martyrs, the Ionitis, the Rankins, the tier twos, the Bryant, the Reed, and this is the tier three. And Mohurst is a player I've banged the table for as uh, as long as I can remember, all the way through. Uh, the entire draft when he kept dropping i was like i don't care just take it all right so now i got two guys left you want to do do a couple of yours before we finish off with my 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 harvey wall bangers so next up is gottis guys oh, on mine gottis adam gottis yeah damn it you've read my mind i gave you my power from last time. yep adam gottis <laughs> hey he's the so, georgia tech boy from 2016 former second round pick yeah i i'll let i'll let you speak on him Gotsis. He's like a crazy madman in the middle. Obviously spent uh, the first bit of his career. I liked him when he was with Denver. He was just a kind of a guy that was always mixing it up. Him and Derek Wolf were just these pain in the ass guys on the defensive line. They were tough. They were physical. Gotsis has just been a guy who I've always just kind of liked watching play. He reminds me of like a poor man's version of old Justin Smith. The guy who used to play for the Bengals. So yeah, Gotsis is one of my two, especially I think you're talking probably two, three million max. You're not talking about, 
you know, a ton of guaranteed money, but yeah, he's a guy 30 years old. If you want to come in and mix it up as my, I think a guy like he, him coming in and showing some of these younger guys would be very helpful. Yeah. Gotsis is one of my guys. I guess the issue with him is he, he'd be a three. He is, um, he, and if oh, you, for sure. He's always been bring a him in. He's never been like, a one or two. What do we do with this room? And the, Hey, they, they could swing it completely and suddenly we go with four edges because out of two of the three years, they've gone with five edges and four DTs. They could flip that. And in the one year when we had all the Maliks, we had five DTs and four edges. So they could go that route, but then suddenly, hey, are we promoting Alex Wright to a three? And that's kind of the... the but also, could question. they possibly move right inside more and have because again your defensive line alignments are going to be a little different than you're normally used to and that's i think one of the things you really got to factor in is what are the guys going to be asked to do because you can't have alex wright playing wide nine it's not going to work right you know maybe a chase winovich or a miles garrett i get it but alex wright's going to be closer inside so if you kind of run that three four inside with sticking that guy way out at the wide nine you could just see a different body type. We haven't seen it because we don't know. That's why it's going to be a little harder to project this year. So next up on my list is Hill. Okay, good. Not my guy. Um, Tristan Hill Cardinals. Um, I just want to bring him in basically and just see what he can do because he intrigues me. Um, I'm guessing there's going to be a good RAS score behind him, which I'll check in a second. But the guy gets pressure. There, there has been some ups and downs he, he looked amazing in his stint in Arizona because he struggled he spent the first half of the year in Dallas and graded out a 54.5 with four he pressures got, he on got, yeah he got cut last rush he got cut and then there was a lot of people because he was a former second round pick by them a few years ago he was the UCF kid and like there was a lot of talk about him in Dallas and he stunk he was terrible and then Dallas I think cut him thinking they could get him back and Arizona scooped him up and he showed a little bit of signs of life well, he, so maybe he, he was playing with, pissed off. I don't know. Finished with a 73.5 in PFF grade for weeks 10 to 16, which was his time in Arizona. We're only talking 91 pass rushing snaps. So he'd definitely be your three. Um, but he got five pressures in 51 pass rushes. So he's doing what you want in terms of a uh, RAS score 9.53. So the dude brings the athleticism. Um, so it's one that, you would offer him the chance to come in at camp. The question is, is he going to want to do that if there's no guarantees? And is there a route where you see him being your DT3? Because his agent and him's going to look at the room and go, hey, they've already got Jordan Elliott. They've already got Winfrey. They've already got um, Tommy Togiai. If I join that room, what's my chance of making the final 53? Not as great as you want. And we can sit here and go, hey, they should get rid of Togiai. They should get rid of these other guys. There's no guarantee they do that. So unless there's some guarantees, he might waver off. But he's certainly one I'd, I'd I'd love to bring in. Next up, um, just to keep rolling, uh, Mohurst is on my list. Hyder is one. This would be a solid three. Um, you would have to probably give him a little bit of money. This is uh, Kerry Hyder of 49ers. Um but yeah, it, it, the Browns love a, a three tech. Um, could even slip outside if you wanted to go really heavy package. Not quite wide nine outside, but he he gets at the quarterback. He's thirty one point eight though, and that's the thing where I'd say probably don't go after him. Um, but if he was cheap and you're bringing him in to try and make a spot, I don't mind it. Yeah, he can play inside outside. He's a he's a guy that's been around the league. He's a jag. He is your. Your prototypical NFL Jag. So next up on my list is Ridgeway, Hassan Ridgeway. Hassan Ridgeway. 49ers. Pressure numbers could be a bit better, but as a fur a cheap third option, he could really work out. Um, is where I stand there. Yeah, he, um, so he was a guy a lot of Browns fans liked in the draft. Bigger guy. Um, I wonder how much of his quote unquote production is being on that on that D-line with all those boys. Because, you know, it was always kind of consistent type of play. Last year when he was with the Eagles, 
never really made much. I don't think they made much of an effort to keep him there too. So, so that's what I worry ne- about. Next up, we've got a guy that ranked PFF's 34th best DT out of 141. Let me check to make sure it's not my guy. Played on the minimum this year. Did he play? And... The, did he play in the division? No, he didn't. Okay, good. Um, Just checking to make sure you're not stealing my last guy here, Jack. This is Nathan Shepard. Oh yeah, Shepard. I reckon potentially two mil. Um, but this is going to come down to the he he's a, a really really nice three, I think. And I just don't think we need a three. Is kind of what the issue is. Um, if there's no Winfrey or stuff, or you're willing to go, hey, we're going to sign three guys in free agency, we're going to have Winfrey, and we're really just going to go for it this year. Yeah, he Listen, he's a guy, again, he's been with the Jets. He was kind of a relative unknown. He's made a couple plays here and there through his career. To say we know a ton about this guy is probably a little inaccurate, but he's the type of guy where if you're Jim Schwartz, you've played against him, you've seen it, you're like, you know what? I have a role for this guy. You can go and bang the drum and say, hey, let's bring him in. He's a cheap deal. But I don't think he's going to be the difference between you having a top 10 defense and a top 30 defense, right? He's just a guy. Yeah, and there's some other names of... I'll let you do your guy before I throw out some of my other names. And there's there's one guy that was in the division um, who got injured. I don't know if that's potentially your guy. Potentially. So, listen, a lot of times I get accused of being biased towards my Ohio state Buckeyes, right? You know, sometimes maybe I am, but there are sometimes players who play for Michigan that I don't necessarily mind all that much. This is a guy who is doing the inverse of the Larry Ogunjobi, right? Started his career with the Ravens solid play, right? He's been solid. He's been good. Then all of a sudden he goes against, um, he goes over to the the Steelers, played with the Steelers for a little while. That's my guy, Chris Wormley. And I, I say my guy a little loosely. He's a Michigan guy. But yeah, he was a guy, he had a little bit of a knee injury, missed a few weeks during the middle of the season. Uh, never really kind of got too much going. Only played 338 snaps with the Steelers last year. But overall, the last five years has been pretty consistent as a nice fitter role mix it up kind of defensive tackle. Is he a guy that's going to come in and get you, you know, a ton of pressures? Likely no. I mean, throughout his season, he had one good year in 2021 where he had a decent number of pressures and sacks. That Steelers D-line is obviously, you know, formidable for the most part. But Wormley's a guy I would go out, I would look at 6'5", 300, like I said, from that team up north. But he's a solid NFL vet. I think bringing him in, to help a guy like Perrion Winfrey, to help a guy like Togiai, to show them like, hey man, this is what big boy football is all about. I like Wormley. I would be very happy if you went out and got me a mixture of, you know, say Ionitis and Wormley or Wormley and Puna Ford or Ashawn Robinson. Like these are the, these are the kind of the four guys that I just like, just because I like the way they play. And I think they would look good in the orange and brown. So part of the issue here is late in December, he picked up an injury and that can really upset his i'm not sure when he's due back um that might force him into a cheaper one-year deal um so just something to keep in mind um one name just because highly drafted players are worth discussing um to throw out there is solomon thomas um i think again a a really nice three but not what the browns looking for well we've talked about him a couple years at this point it's just it hasn't it hasn't come to be and the ship has sailed Nobody's really kind of uh, said like what it was. It just didn't fire for him being a former top three pick. So at this point, I'm ready to move on. So dream scenario, based on the numbers that we've discussed, what does your one-two look like? Because I think we pretty much agree that it's ideally a one-two and Winfrey's probably the three and then I guess a draft pick to finish it out. What's your one-two? If, like, if, pairing. If, I'm, if I'm being ideal? Yeah, so who, who would be your starting defensive tackle pairing? Because I, I think we're all in agreement they're coming from free agency. Yeah, I don't think you're going to be able to invest enough. Listen, I know a lot of people talk about like Maisie Smith in the draft. The Browns, I don't think are drafting 
Maisie Smith at 42. I just don't see it happening. Even if you draft him, he's still your four-week one. <laughs> yeah, that's true. If I was picking, I'd probably go, I'd like an Ioannidis Ashawn Robinson. I think that's probably my my favorite combo. I just like that a lot of meat. Um, like I said, I don't know. I, I did it ever. I'm, I'm looking here. I don't see what Wormley's injury was on the knee. I'm not sure if it was knee, but I'm no, it was a knee. It three, says Wormley's three, three season, season, third season with the Steelers is likely over as a result of a left knee injury suffered it late in the third quarter of the Sunday 16 to 14 loss of the Ravens. It says need surgery to repair the damaged knee. So I don't know what it was. If he tore something, knew. Yeah, I'm with you on Ionidas. It's Ionidas and Reed for me. That would be the uh, the the perfect duo that I'm chasing. Um, but yeah, Ionidas to the Browns would be a uh, a real dream. But we'll jump into next show. Um, oh, have a good weekend, and then uh, next show we'll, next week linebackers, cornerbacks, safeties, um, loads of great fun. That safety show is going to be great. Oh yeah, absolutely. Because I think it's one of those positions where. I've got five guys already that I have on my list that we're kind of, I'm kind of looking into a little bit, but the cornerback show should be a little bit, a little bit shorter. By the way, I'm looking here. There was a report that there was a potential torn ACL for Wormley. So torn ACL in December would be, he wouldn't be ready for that. So. Oh, Chris, this is what happens oh. when you trust the Michigan. As always, go Browns. Go Browns, and I hope my mic was better.